Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. I won't won't spill the beans, but he is, he brings grace. I've seen him in so many situations, and every time he brings grace. And so, would you welcome our very own Blake Healy as he comes? Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) How you guys doing? Good. Good. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So yeah, I it was funny. We were we were joking with the staff and it it's true, but I I kind of accidentally stumbled into this little bit of a series pattern I noticed uh and if you've been following along at home, you may have noticed um the my the last two messages I've taught, the the previous one was on wounds and the one after that was about sin. And tonight we're going to talk about judgment. <laughs> Perfect. We're calling it the, the Dark Series. I don't know. It's like our, <laughs> the Dark Album. I don't know. We'll <laughs> come up with something. Uh, no, it's, it's interesting. The, um, so if, if you guys haven't been around for a little while, this may be new to you. But I, So I've, I've seen in the spirit since I was a kid. I've seen angels, demons, and other spiritual things the way that I'm seeing all of you right now. And uh, surprise, <laughs> but if that's new to you. Um, but, it's, you know, it's interesting. I... I'm, I'm drawn to subjects like these lately, not, not because I think, you know, I want to condemn anyone or, I, you know, if you were here, you know, that's not my heart at all. But I, you know, when, I, when I've seen things in the spirit, the things that bother me most, the things that affect me the most is not when I see someone under d- demonic oppression. It's not when I see wounds on people. It's not when I, you know, I see any of this, that kind of stuff. The thing that affects me the most, the thing that genuinely hurts me the most is when I see the goodness of God go unclaimed by his people. It's when I see God present something good to us and we don't grab it. And you know the, the subject of judgment is one I think where with with a what I think is actually a relatively simple mindset change, we can either step into a completely brand new perspective on God's goodness and God's goodness towards people, or we can totally miss out on it. And so this isn't, I want you to hear this very much, this isn't so much about like, hey, you stop judging right now, stop it. You know, it's not (laughs) that kind of thing. It's, you know, when, when God brings something to us and it, when, it, when he brings correction, when he brings direction, it's not him condemning us. It's him saying, hey, I have something way better. I have something way, way better. So let's turn to this scripture. It's a, it's a classic scripture on this subject. It's a Luke 6. Luke 6. And we're going we're gonna to go to verse 37. And uh, this is one of those stories in the Bible that that's, it, uh, can be found in multiple Gospels. So this is one that everyone was listening to. <laughs> you know, this is one that, ooh, I should write that one down. 
And this, again, this is really just one of the classic, like, scriptures on judgment. And I've been, I've been a pastor's kid and a missionary kid and a church kid my whole life. And so I've heard a lot of scriptures a lot of times. And, you know, I've noticed, I, I like to review some of these familiar scriptures because I think that sometimes when you've heard a, crypt, a scripture, <laughs> they, sounds like a dance. Anyway, um, Anytime you've had a scripture quoted at you a whole bunch or like thrown at you during an argument or it just becomes this thing where it's less a, a statement with a context, with a history, it's just kind of a, a slogan that gets thrown out, it, it can sometimes lose its meaning. You know what I mean? Has that ever happened to you? I find that sometimes. And so I, I want to review this with fresh eyes. And so Luke 6, and we're going to verse 37. Do not judge pretty straightforward. And you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust? And, you know, this is really like the classic, you know, judgment picture, the classic judgment metaphor. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Which, (laughs) it's like a real severe metaphor, you know. It's like a grain of sawdust and plank. I mean, I think I would notice that there was a plank in my eye. Not to critique the Lord's metaphors. <laughs> Don't judge me. I felt that. Come on. Uh, verse 42. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? And this, this next word that Jesus uses is a word that's very considered, I think, harsh, and especially in Christian circles, we really don't like this word. We, I see people's, people's hackles get up when this word comes up. When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I want to unpack this a little bit, because we can, the, the way that I first heard this scripture, the way that I learned this scripture, it was in the context of this is what good Christian behavior looks like. You know, this is what it looks like to be a good Christian. And while I do think that is a true statement, I think the way that we receive that contextually kind of has us miss the point. You know, when I say good Christian behavior, you probably like have this, you know, snapshot image of someone in a really nice buttoned up shirt, you know, sitting their posture straight with their hair combed to one side and a very nicely taken care of Bible in their hand. You know, you, you, you do, do you see that kind of cliche in your mind or you feel that, that kind of thing? Well, it's, it's I'd, I want to think bigger because Jesus wasn't just giving people a bunch of rules and regulations. He was speaking to the people that, was going, that were going to inherit his kingdom and perpetuate it on the earth. And so it's not just good Christian behavior. He is teaching us to become people that would be worthy heirs of his kingdom. That changes the way that we receive it. That changes the way that we look at it. That changes the authority that we feel when we see that. And when I'm big, small, and worthless, this feels like, hey, shape up. When I realize I'm being greatly trusted and greatly empowered, 
this starts to feel more like a standard that he's setting. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's go through this real quick. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I do not think that God is saying if you don't forgive, you're, you know, you're going to get punished. If you judge, you're going to be judged extra. I don't think that he's saying, I'm going to get you if you don't do what I say. Instead, I think he's talking to an empowered people with powerful words and authority on the earth. And so he's saying, if you, cre- if you judge, you create an environment where judgment is okay. And therefore, judgment will be happening. <laughs> If you create an environment where condemnation is okay, then condemnation is going to happen, including towards you. You see how it's, it's, it's the same statement, but it's a little bit of a different perspective. It's a little bit of a different ownership. It's not, hey, you shape up. It's you are creating your environment with the way you interact with it. You are altering your environment with the way that you interact with it, and that puts a lot of power in your hands which is exciting and absolutely terrifying sometimes. <laughs> and it's great because he, you know, he's, he's giving the, the end away right away. I want to give the end away right away. The solution is very, very simple, I believe. He's, it, and it really comes down to humility, teachability. He uses this metaphor. He uses this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Humility, humility is, is a multidimensional truth. It's a multidimensional facet of God's nature. But one of the facets is being teachable, is realizing that sometimes in some areas I'm going to be blind and I need to be led by someone who can see in this area. It's not I start out blind and I get better and better and better to see to see. No, you have blind spots, And in those blind spots, you need someone to teach you who knows that area. And every single person here is going to go through different areas and different stages of life where we need someone to lead us. I am, you are, every single one of us. And then we'll also have plenty of areas where we will lead others. We'll say, oh, hey, I know this road. I know this way, and I'll take you through it the easy way. (laughs) I I fell in a couple pits along the way, but I'll show you where those pits are because I remember when I fell into them. (laughs) Hmm. Having the humility to recognize that I have a blind spot opens you up to the influence of the Holy Spirit and the victories that other people have had, which is huge. Why do you look at this? Ow, I just punched the pulpit. That hurt. (laughs) I'm sorry, pulpit. (laughs) Don't judge me. (laughs) Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. You know. Sorry, that was a terrible plank. I don't know. It's harder to do than you might think. Anyway, I don't have a piece of, no, that's too big. I'm sorry, getting off track. Uh, So, again, this, this can feel like, this can feel like, well, you got huge problems, and why are you worrying about everyone else's problems? But I don't think that's the context that God's saying this in, and I want to look at that one word, that, that word that kind of hits us funny sometimes, that hypocrite word. Yeah. Wow. Some of you like tensed up a little bit. That was good. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, th- I think the, the, the modern interpretation of hypocrite, and we can maybe have a little bit of differences between us, but 
it's basically someone who says one thing and does another, right? That's what most people would kind of consider hypocrite. I say, watching that show is terrible, and then you, you know, sneak by my house and you see me watching that show, something like that. Which, stop sneaking by my house, it's weird. <laughs> don't, don't do that. That's, that's two wrongs don't make a right, you know what they say. Um, <laughs> You know, that's a silly example, but it's a simple one. So I say, I say, this is wrong, this is not, you know, then this happens. Um, now, I think this one tenses us up a little bit because it's something that Christians get accused of on a semi-regular basis. And I think this is multidimensional. I'm not going to really go down this road too far, but I think that, you know, we sometimes do this or we get this thing done towards us, the difference between... You know, a lot of times when we fail at the things that we say God wants us to do and we say is right, it's not necessarily because we choose to. It's not necessarily because we say, oh, that's right, that's fine, I'm just going to do it. It's You kind of get there somehow, you know what I mean? Like, you get super angry and you say the wrong thing. You you know, you get, it, it, does, it happens naturally, right? And to someone on the outside, it looks like, and someone who is judging us, it might look like, you know, oh, they say this and they do this. It makes sense to me that it's easier when it's happening to you than when you're doing it to someone else, but it's easy to judge someone who is still growing in a revelation that they believe in, but don't necessarily know how to do as their, as their day-to-day life yet. You know what I'm saying? I want to get into this word hypocrite because the, the actual original... Um, context that this word is used, especially in this time, is is not quite the same as we mean it today. It's a little bit one, it's close, but it's one step off. So the meaning, the original meaning of the original Greek word for hypocrite, which I'm not going to try to quote because that would be embarrassing for all of us, um, is it actually means actor. And it didn't have any negative connotation originally, it just meant actor. In particular, a certain kind of Greek actor who would often wear masks when they would be performing because they were meant to look like someone who was dramatically different than them or looked like some kind of creature or something like that. So they would wear these uh, stone masks. And those were called hypocrites, and that was just what that kind kind of actor was. And so at the time that the Bible was written, the word hypocrite didn't quite mean someone who says one thing and does, and does another, it more meant someone who was acting like something that they were not. Someone who was, you know, the equivalent would be like someone at a party who's, you know, uh, acting like they're super affluent or super wealthy or something like that, but they might not necessarily be someone who's like, oh, I know so-and-so and so-and-so and this person and this person's best friend's dog and all that kind of stuff, you know. It's, you know, the... <laughs> My, my junior high self, uh, back in the mid-90s, would have called them a poser. Yeah? <laughs> it's modern, semi-modern syntax for that. And I, it's funny. So as I kind of took it in that context, at that time, it meant a little bit, a little bit different, similar, but a little bit different. It meant someone was a, who was a poser, who was pretending to be this thing when really they weren't. And, you know, I f- it was interesting. I just had this moment of thinking back to when I was in junior high and skateboarding was getting really big, you know, it got real big in the 80s and then kind of dipped down a little bit. And then in the mid-90s, skateboarding had this big resurgence. Some of you might have been involved in that and some of you might have been angry at that, depending on where you were in life at the time. <laughs> um, 
And I remember me and my friends would go out skateboarding, and I wasn't much of a skateboarder, but I'd, you know, snap pictures of my friends and, you know, tell them how awesome they were and laugh at them when they fell over, all the good stuff. And I remember I was, you know, 14, 15 years old, and we'd go out to the different skate spots, and, you know, certain people went to certain spots and things like that. And a bunch of these younger kids, you know, they were like 12, and we were 14, so these little kids came by and wanted to skate in our spot. And I remember, I remember it so vividly. They had like their brand new skateboard. Because, you know, if you go skating for a while, like it's all, all the wheels are all messed up. And the, you know, when you're doing all those sick grinds, the, you know, the middle of it gets all messed up, all cool, you know, so that you know you're tough. You definitely didn't just take a screwdriver to it at home so that you'd look awesome. <laughs> definitely not. That would be a poser thing to do. Um, <laughs> Um, and, you know, they had, like, these brand-new skateboards that had obviously never been ridden before, brand-new, you know, skater hats and shorts and everything. And I remember we, you know, were, I don't think I necessarily yelled, but I remember my friends yelling and saying, ah, oh, get out of here, just a bunch of posers, you know. And I'm, it was interesting because I don't really like yelling at people and I don't really like, you know, being mean to people, but I remember feeling upset when they showed up. And I went back to that memory as I was reading the history of this word. And I was like, why? Why was I upset? Like, why, why would that bother me? I, I like having people around. I like, you know, I like, I actually, I, I was an older brother. I was older than all my cousins. So I'm actually used to younger kids being around and learning to do stuff. And why did that bother me? And I flashed back to that memory and I realized that the feeling that I had, whether it was right or wrong, but the feeling that I had was, Oh, we, like, we got into this because we really like this, and we think this is really cool, and we love doing this. And you guys with your brand new stuff are just jumping on the bag wagon because it's cool now. That was the feeling, you know? And the, so the feeling was, whether, whether it was true or not, was, oh, you're just jumping on because you want to be cool and with the group, and we got into this because we're in it for the thrill or something. I don't know. <laughs> And so I flash back to this, to this word hypocrite and its original kind of meaning at the time. And I thought, okay, God is not just saying, like, you, you know, you double-minded person, or you person who says one thing and does another, especially in this context. He's saying, if you're doing this, if you have the plank in your eye and you're trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye, you've missed it. You haven't gotten what's really cool about this yet. You're just jumping on the bandwagon and missing the actual point, missing the heart behind it. Is that making sense? It's, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? I want to clarify here. He's not saying never do this because right afterwards he says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He doesn't say don't do it, but he says remove the plank from your eye. What if instead of saying like, hey, you're not qualified to do this yet, you're, you know, blah, 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 blah. What if instead he's saying, no, you need to have the experience of the Lord removing and correcting something so that you can see clearly, not necessarily just see clearly to see what's going on, but have the experience of that correction so that you can impart that experience to someone else. Does that make sense? He needs you to have a real experience with what he's doing, not just, oh, this is the good thing to do. You know what I mean? And so with, with this, I want to... 
I want to illustrate just a little bit of what, what I think judgment is. Now, judgment is one of those things that's a pretty broad subject, and I think, you know, we all have at least a general interpretation of it, but judgment is whenever you decide what is motivating someone else's actions. It's when you say, they did this because of this, because of that, because they're just this, because they're young, because they're old, because they're this person, because they're that person, because they're that kind of person. It's when we ascribe motivations to people's actions that we don't, without asking them why they did that. Now, I want to be clear who I'm talking to because I think that most of us judge about 95% of our day. It's big ways, small ways. It's not all like, oh, that person's a jerk. You know, that's, that's a little bit of a harsh judgment, you know. It can be little subtle things. You want, you want to do a test of how, how, how we judge things? Just take, go through your text messages and look at how you interpret text messages as they come in. Because there's so little context, it's, it's, it's you know, you don't have someone's face, you don't have someone's thing. So you kind of have to judge what they're saying. Like, do you feel offended? Do you feel hurt? Do you feel upset at the person when you text? text them 15 sentences and they give you, sounds good. (laughs) Do you feel like they're being terse with you, being short with you when they end a sentence with a period instead of three exclamation points? (laughs) We're laughing, but part of us is like, they just put a period there. What's up with that? (laughs) Better to have no punctuation than to have that punctuation. That's, <laughs> or the worst is like fine, period. Like any context, that's like, oh God, what did I do? <laughs> what, do you, what do you judge it to be when someone sends that one emoji that's like kind of like a smile, but kind of looks like he's getting hurt a little bit? Like that. <laughs> it's like, oh man, are they upset with me or do they just not know what a smile looks like? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. <laughs> uh, those texts are a good place to see where your, where your judgment leanings are. <laughs> Do you judge that someone's correcting you, that someone's talking down to you, that someone's upset with you? All right, so I want to jump to one, uh, a couple more scriptures just to, again, create uh, further context for this. So um, we're going to go to Galatians 6. Galatians 6. I'm going to read a little bit more than we need to. Um, Verse 7 is kind of what I want to hit, but um, I like the beginning part of this as well, just because it creates a fuller context. Uh, So it's Galatians 6, and we're going to start with verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time we'll, we will reap, for in the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have authority, uh, excuse me, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So it's, it's, it's not our job to judge whether someone's actions are, are it, it's not our job to judge someone's actions. It's not our job to judge what people's motivations are. It's our job to love people. I would say that judgment is assigning motivation to people's actions. I would also say that judgment is any time we think less of anyone than God thinks of them. Standard just went up a little bit, didn't it? (laughs) We're called to see people the way that God does, to love people the way that God does. And if we are looking at them as less than that, then we are judging them. The gift of discernment is not a secret code word for the gift of judgment. (laughs) You're not meant to discern people's motivations. You're meant to discern what spirit they're of. And if you discern that they are of a negative spirit, of an ungodly spirit, then it is not your job to judge them for having an ungodly spirit. It's your job to release the Holy Spirit. Onto them. And release the truth to them. Because guess what? We're all of the wrong spirit sometimes. Peter, who was around Jesus all the time, did some crazy stuff. And then Jesus is like, you don't know what spirit you're of. And I I bet Peter was like, I thought I did. (laughs) sometimes bothers people when I say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it again this service anyway. Um, so like I said, I've, se- I've seen the Spirit for my whole life. I've seen angels and demons and other things like that. And, you know, whenever I let people know that, there's always a certain percentage of people, and if this is you, you're okay, we're good, um, who come up to me afterwards and are like, you know, because I, I don't really focus on the negative stuff just because I don't find a lot of purpose in it, you know, for the most part. Most of the time I find it's much more profitable to focus on what God's doing. Um, some of you don't believe me, but that's okay. And, but every time, I, even though when I kind of have that leaning, people come up to me afterwards and they speak to me in this very conspiratory tone. You know, like, hey, you know, if you ever, if you ever see something bad on me, you can, you can let me know, okay? <laughs> I, can, I can handle it. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and... Firstly, I'm like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> and then secondly, I, I almost never do that. I, I do sometimes, but I almost never do that because, let me tell you a secret, anyone I've known for any length of time, I've seen something bad on them at some point. <laughs> That's not because the devil's powerful. It's because he's always going to try to knock. <laughs> you know? 
It's because he's going to, and now Bill Johnson has this wonderful quote about it. He says, you know, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep a bird from building a nest on your head. <laughs> you know? And, you know, if I judge someone for being negative or even if they are genuinely carrying a spirit of anger or bringing a spirit of division or fear or whatever else, like if I judge them for that, I'm actually squeezing the hose shut on their ability to get breakthrough. I'm going to be a little bit more harsh. I'm actually partnering with that spirit because that was probably half, if not more, of its goal was to make that child of God look bad. Gentle, gentle slaps. <laughs> we are meant to be overflowing with love for every single human being on this planet. Because that's what our Father is doing. Now, I want to be very, very clear because I, the reason that I don't like judgment is. A, because God's pretty clear about it, and B, because I think it is in some ways the direct enemy, enemy of, uh, anime, anime, of, <laughs> I don't know who, what voice that was, uh, it's the direct enemy of agape love. Now, again, love is one of those words that's a very limiting word. Um, you know, in English, we just don't have quite enough words to really describe what, what love is. And, you know, the Greeks had several words for it. You know, it's great, great word study sometime if you want to. But agape love is, that's the John 3.16 love. That's, that's the 1 Corinthians 13 love. That, that's, the, that's the for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's the love is patient, love is kind. And I, it's, it's mainly the love that is attributed to God and his nature. And it is often meant to be understood as a broad-reaching, unconditional love. A love that's present for everyone all the time. And I want to be very clear, because we, we have human understanding, and so we think love for anyone, generic. You know, our brains think that way. We think, oh, a love that goes to everyone, that means it's like a generic, warm, fuzzy blanket that you lay down over everything. No, no, no. Agape is a broad love, but it is also a deep love. It is, I love you. I believe in you. I believe in your potential. I believe in your destiny. I believe in who you are and who God made you to be. It is also not a love that just brushes over the, the flaws that are in people. Because real love doesn't do that. We sometimes make this mistake of thinking that love just kind of like, you know, you know, slicks its way around, you know, those, those more awkward conversations and things like that. No, no, no. Love goes face to face with those conversations. Love has boundaries. Love has, has feedback. Love lets you know when you've got a speck in your eye, you know? But love creates a different context for feedback than judgment does, Love releases a different grace for correction than judgment does. Judgment creates failure. <laughs> judgment creates the idea of failure. <laughs> Love doesn't. Love creates the idea of growth. 
You know, it's, it, again, it, it creates boundaries. Like, love sees the potential. So I, I, my son, I see the potential for him to be a wonderful, magnificent, very safe driver. But he's seven years old, so I'm not going to put him in a car right now and say, I believe in you, buddy. <laughs> I'm also not going to, now this is even hard for our brains to wrap around because we don't think this way, but I'm not even going, I'm not going to judge him and condemn him for not being able to drive a car yet, for not having the, the sense of you know, space, the, the judgment ability to not drive a car yet. I'm not going to condemn him. And you know, even the idea of me condemning him or his ability to ever drive based on where he is right now, that's ridiculous to us. That doesn't even compute because we're used to the idea of children needing to grow. But for some reason, we're not in tune with the idea that adults need to grow. And so we think it's okay to judge people for where they're at in a specific moment of their season of their life. Love sees the breadth of where God's taking them, realizes where they're at, and creates boundaries and safety and security and feedback for that, but it also sees the future and invites the future. I mean, th- I mean just, it's, again, like I said, it's hard to imagine because it's so outside our context, but if I was treated my seven-year-old son moment to moment with his ability to drive in a in a negative way, in a, in a you-can't-do-this-yet way, which is true, but that's not the whole picture, right? Like, it's so clear to see how that would totally stunt his ability to drive later, how he would be so nervous, how it would be all this weird pressure and all that kind of stuff. I mean, again, it's hard to compute because it's so outside our normal, yet somehow it's creeped into our normal for how we relate to other adults. You know? The idea that leaders might need to grow is like alien to us. (laughs) So we judge them. (laughs) All right, so let's, uh, um, you you can jump to this one if you want to. I'm just going to read one small part, but let's go to James chapter 3. This is that classic scripture about taming the tongue, you know. Paul has some harsh things to say about how dangerous the tongue is. It's Dipped in the fires of hell, I think is a metaphor that he uses in there. So, so check yourself before you wreck yourself is what he's saying. <laughs> so I'm just going to read a small bit. So it's uh, James chapter 3, and we're going to go with verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. God sees us as the children that are worthy of inheriting his kingdom and worthy of being ambassadors of his kingdom on the earth. Sometimes it scares me how much authority and power he's given us, how much he's given me. (laughs) 
but I don't think it's there to scare us or to give us more than we can handle. I think it's there to invite us to a higher standard of how we speak, of how we think, because he's given us the power to perpetuate our environment, to, to, to create an atmosphere. And so it makes sense that we would need to be cautious about what kind of atmosphere we're creating. And again, I want to be really clear. I'm not, I'm not here to, make, to judge you for judging people. <laughs> Because that just gets into a weird, you know, Mobius strip of insanity real fast. What I'm saying is that God has something better. And I, I also do want to connect us with the reality that it happens a lot. In big ways and small ways. In, good, in, in what we would consider good ways and bad ways. You know, there's the whole judging of like, oh, that person's a jerk. Oh, that person's mean. Oh, that person's just a crusty old guy. You know, whatever it is. We can also box people in by judging them in positive ways, or what would be considered positive ways, of like, oh, they're such an athlete. You know, that can be an empowering statement, or that can be a box. Some of you may have experienced things like that in, through school or through work, of like, oh, you're such a great administrator. That's a very positive thing and a good thing, but it can be a box if it carries judgment. If it carries love, it's an open platform with room to grow. We're invited to see every single human being on this planet the way that God does. We're invited to start treating them like the people that they are meant to be, to start creating the possibility for them to be those people. Again, like I said before, we do this with children, but somehow we, f we forget to do it with adults. I mean, that's just the first 18 years of our lives. We have a long way to grow. Like I said, we need teachers for the rest of our life in different areas and different places and different situations. But when we learn to not judge, when we learn to respect, when we learn to honor, when we learn to receive, it actually it equips us to receive what other people have. Let me tell you a secret. God is really big. Each of us are like smallish, smallish, we'll say. If we're going into comparison, then it's like infinitely small. God is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. I am finite. I have a beginning. And I'll, you know, probably die in like 120 years or something, whatever April prefers. I don't know. <laughs> How does a finite people get to know and understand an infinite God? I'll tell you what, when we learn to see each other with agape, with real love, I get to see the way God the way that I see him, but I also get to see him the way you see him. When I judge other people, I limit my scope of who God is. I limit my perspective of God because I am limited. I am a limited person, and so I cannot see more than I can see of him. But if I learn to love, I can see what you can see of him, and I can see what you can see of him, and I can let you see what I see of him. 
And together we can get a much, much more full picture of who God is. And we can bring that picture to earth and show it to other people. And so, I, again, I want to be so clear. It's, I really don't, it's funny. Maybe this is just my personality. Maybe this is just the way that it works. I'm not that, like, upset that someone would be judging or judging me or judging others. I'm more upset that they're missing out on something so good. <laughs> that, that we would trade being annoyed at someone for being in love with them. <laughs> you know? That doesn't mean we brush over their faults. That doesn't mean everything they do is totally okay. That's not, not even close. But it totally changes the context in which we experience those things. And, you know, we, we could talk a lot about the reasons that we get into judgment, the reasons that we, you know, some of it is us trying to protect ourselves. Some of it is, is you know, we feel insignificant or we feel like we have low value, so we have to bring everyone down to our level. I mean, you can get in the psychology of it, but, again, I just would rather exchange it for the good thing, <laughs> you know. All right, I want to pray for you guys, so please please stand up real quick. <clears throat> I was um, I was just thinking, you know, a little bit about just some of the issues that have come up this year in our country, and I mean, these are issues that are happening around the world all the time, and these are issues that are in our history, but I just kind of boiled it down to this broad question that I wanted to ask the Lord, and I said, you know, what, how do you, how can I relate to people who hate me for no reason? And the, the broad picture answer that he gave me was love them for no reason. Agape love is, has a lot of definitions, but one of the foundational ones is that it's unconditional. And I realized as he said that, like, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. My, the, my experience, my perspective, the way that I operate is based on connecting with someone, getting to know their story, knowing who they are, learning to love that. I'm, and I feel like I'm okay at that. But even loving someone, I truly, truly loving someone I don't know at all, let alone someone who's, you know, doing things that I, you know, ravenously disagree with and, and things like that, you know, what, what does it look like to not fake love, not, not Lord bless them love, but like, like the real, I'm going to get down in the dirt with you and look you eye to eye because you are someone I adore. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. But thankfully, I don't need to know how because I am attached to the one who does. We're connected to the one who does. But I will say, we need to have humility or there's not room for him to speak. And humility is just simply realizing that, okay, I, I, I might not be right about this. I mean, it's so simple, but it's, it's easy to forget especially in those little judgments. I think it's, honestly, I think he starts addressing the little judgments first, the teeny tiny ones, the ones that we don't even think of judgments, the, oh, boys will be boys, you know, or the, oh, she's just a girl, you know, little judgments that we've gotten real comfortable with. <laughs> I think if we let him have those little victories, 
where we feel judgment come up and we recognize it and we say, Lord, what are you saying about this? What are you saying about this? Those little victories will lead to the big victories. Because if I just attack straight into this, this group of people who are hateful, this group of people who are this, I, I don't know. That's so overwhelming. But I can start with that small stuff. I can, I can listen to what he says about that little stuff and build a rapport and build a, a bank of transformation that leads me into the momentum of some of those big questions. And I think if we could do that all together, we could really see something. So put your hands out in front of you real quick. I'm just going to pray. <clears throat> Because like I said, this, we can't make this happen. <laughs> like I said earlier, I can't, I can't just stand up here and say, you, you stop that judging right now. You stop it. <laughs> you know, that's, it just doesn't work that way. We do it without thinking. You know, it's, it's, you know I, I looked up the definition of the word judgment in, like, in the original language. And it's like make an assessment of, you know, determine the value of, think, process. It's like some of those seem like vital functions. I don't know. I mean, I might need to, like, I don't know how to not do some of those. I, I don't think that's the goal, is to never think again. I like thinking. It's fun. I, it's, I don't think that's the goal. But I do think the goal is for the Lord to transform the way that we think, the way, transform the way we put value on things, transform the way that we assess things. And the only way that we can do that is if we let him if we let him. And so, Lord, right now we're coming to you and we're saying, teach us how to love. Teach us how to live out of that agape love. Lord, let those little moments where we have those small judgments, those little judgments that we don't think of as judgments that are just little quiet things, highlight those to us, Lord, so that we can hear your truth. Give us those experiences with the plank being removed from our eyes so that we can better remove the specks from our brothers and sisters' eyes. Not out of judgment, not out of correction, but out of imparting an experience and a breakthrough that we've had. And I just, um, yeah, I just, uh, I just release a, a wave of identity where we don't feel that compulsion to judge that compulsion to lay purpose, to lay reason, to lay motivation on people's actions. Teach us, whether in our own lives right now, in the areas that we are being hurt in right now, teach us how to step into your truth and see them through agape love. Not a fake blanket love, not something we just toss over it to cover things up, but no, one that sees the truth but steps into the revelation of God's perspective and God's love for that truth. Yes, Lord, I just release a new perspective, a new set of eyes, a new set of ears. Hmm. I, just, I just release a grace, too, that if there have been, if there are people in this room who have felt judged, who have felt on the, on the, on the, the, the wrong end of the judgment stick, both ends are wrong, just so you know, but... The pointy end, anyway. I, I just release the truth that if they have sown in the spirit, that they will reap eternal life. And that they have sown in the flesh, they will reap, they will reap trouble. That, they, that their continual growth in relationship with God will be the answer to any judgments against them. That they won't, I release people from needing to defend themselves. I release people from needing protect, to protect themselves. I just say that their journey with God is their protection. 
their journey with God and their victories in God are their protection and their truth. And so I just release the need to protect ourselves and embrace the Holy Spirit as our protector. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we just bless the dreams tonight, the people's faces that pop into our mind tonight. I release grace on the process of having the Holy Spirit correct us because somehow he can do it in such a way that feels that feels freeing, that feels joyful, that feels exciting, that feels, it's, it's the miracle of being corrected without judgment. And I release that miracle into our lives right now tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.